Margie Alanis, and this is Farm Her Talks, thoughtful conversations to connect and inspire the farm her in all of us. This episode was so awesome the first time around. We're pulling it back out of the vault, dusting it off, and putting a little more farm her sparkle on it. This is Grain Bin Safety Week, and this is a week that we all need to pay a little bit more attention to the safety that occurs or the lack of safety sometimes that that is there on a farm when uh, people are working and moving fast and under long hours and and a lot of stress. And, um, you know, it's something though that the fallout is far and wide when there are accidents that occur in this. It is a real thing and you're going to hear it time and time again on this episode. 100% of the deaths that occur from grain entrapment could be, um, do not need to happen. You know, this is something that never, ever needs to happen. And so that is why I need you all to pay a little bit closer attention to the stories and the people that we're going to talk about in Shining Bright today, because through their experiences and through their work, we all have something to learn. And it is all of our jobs to spread this message as far and as wide as possible. And if you are a parent of a small child that is working on a farm, if you are a teenager that is working on a farm uh, or around these different types of things, this is something to pay attention to. If you've got a loved one who works on a farm, this is something to pay attention to, okay? Uh, Because it's very real. In fact, a recent article from Feed and Grain reports that as farmers across the country rushed to clear last year's grain from their bins, the number of grain bin deaths was spiking in the end of 2019. At least 14 people were killed in grain bin accidents between August and December of 2019. And this is compared with 27 who died in all of 2018, based on a Purdue University database. And so this, you guys, this is why this matters. Uh, you know, certain years of harvest, maybe it's a lot of wet grain or or some other factor, sometimes causes these spikes. But again, 100% of those did not need to happen. Those 14 people who who died due to grain entrapment or an accident in the grain bin, um, they had families and they had loved ones and they had, um, you know, legacies and they, they had lives and that has a ripple effect through their families and their communities that never ever goes away. And so again, this is something that's so important. Um, so we are talking about this this week. Again, it's Grain Bin Safety Week. And I am going to share about our partner nationwide. We've got this effort called Everybody Eats, where we have been working with them to tell the stories of the people who are engaged in making sure that we all eat, you know, whether that's the farmer, whether that's the person supporting the farmer or anywhere along that food chain, you know, there's so many parts and pieces that go into making sure that we all have healthy, reliable food on our table at least three times a day if we're lucky. And so these are those stories. And one of the the things that Nationwide does out there that I, I really want you all to pay attention to in regards to grain bin safety is they have a program uh, during grain bin safety weekend and all throughout the year where you can nominate your fire department to receive training and equipment that will allow for um, the rescue of somebody out of a grain bin. And so they have distributed 111 of these grain tubes across 26 states and four documented lives have 
uh, been saved, directly saved from this equipment. An average age of the grain entrapment victim is 49 years old. And there were 402 documented entrapments from 2007 to 2018. And again, 100% of these are preventable. It only takes about four seconds for an adult to be knee deep and entrapped in grain. In 20 seconds, they can be completely buried with little hope for survival. So this, this is, this is why you need to pay attention. This is happening still, and it, it, it's gotten better over time, but it still is happening. And so you can make a difference in your community today by signing up. The cost of the equipment and training for your defi- that your fire department could receive is $5,000, and Nationwide is giving this away. So you can look in our show notes. You can go over to our website and read the blog that goes with this episode about Grain Bin Safety Week, and you can click the link and you can sign your fire department up. So again, you know, whether you think this could or couldn't happen to somebody that you love, I'm here to tell you that it could. And we're going to talk to Sam, uh, who is the producer of Silo, the film. And it is um, a a very, uh, you know, thriller type of uh, entertainment film that is really focused on a community's experience in uh, grain entrapment. And then we're going to be talking to Marilyn Adams, who is a woman who unfortunately experienced the unimaginable losing her son to grain entrapment many years ago and what she's gone on to do since then. I am here downtown Des Moines at the Iowa Power Farming Show with Sam Goldberg, who is the producer of the film Silo, which we are going to talk about. Welcome, Sam. We, uh, our relationship goes back a couple of years. I think we started talking when this was like an idea and you, you had some beginnings to it, but now we're here, right? We were supposed to make the movie a couple of different times. Production got stalled, but we finally got it done. Yeah. Okay. So let's go way back. Tell me a little bit about yourself, uh, your background, what you do. So I've been in the film business actually since I'm 13 years old because I was in a movie as an actor when I was a kid. What? I didn't know this. Story. We'll talk about that later. 
Um, but I started off in front of the camera, always loved going to the movies, going to theater with my family. I grew up in New York City, so as far back as I can remember, I wanted to be in the entertainment business. And eventually it evolved into wanting to tell stories in any way I could as just a unifying tool. I think movies, TV, theater, all kinds of art can produce empathy and build bridges between people. And so I've been doing that as a producer of film and television and theater for about 10 years now. And I just love it. I kind of put together all different pieces, get to meet different people, and have a lot of fun most of the time. <laughs> yeah, well, it does sound like fun. So that's awesome. Okay, so that's your background as a producer. Let's talk a little bit about this film, Silo. So do you have any background in agriculture at all? I don't. I have zero background in agriculture. Well, now you're in it. I'm deep in it. I kind of start saying to people that at first we were making a movie about agriculture. Now I think we're an agricultural company that happened to make a film that's like totally flipped. Uh, but I was I was developing a film in New York in 2014. The writer of that film had just met a director out of Tennessee who had heard about a grain entrapment accident and thought it would make an interesting idea for a movie. I needed a producer to help him get things off the ground, find a screenwriter, all that kind of stuff. And so we met. He pitched me the idea. I thought it was very compelling just from a narrative standpoint. Like, it's an interesting structure to a film. Somebody gets trapped in something and then they have to be rescued. But then the more he told me about it, the more I just found it interesting that I knew so little about ag. That as a city kid, I was just so disconnected from producers and the real producers. <laughs> the ag, the, the growing producers? Yeah, the producers upon which we rely for sustenance. Um, movies are important, but food, you know, tends to take a, I don't know, a higher rung on the ladder. So I, I just really appreciated his pitch for the film and him as a person. We started working on the project together and as I dug deeper into it, I learned how prevalent and widespread farm accidents were, in particular grain entrapments. And so we worked on the film and the script for a few years. We finally got the story right once we felt like we had the right story. We raised some money. We made a short film that could kind of prove we knew what we were doing to raise some more money. And then we filmed the film in 2018 in Kentucky and in Iowa. And we edited it for another 10 months and we released it a few months ago. Uh, bing, bang, boom. Hi. Oh. <laughs> uh, so we are actually on the show floor here. So there's people walking by us, waving at us right now. If you heard a thump in the background, they're just checking out the equipment. It's good. It's it's Sukup equipment. It's very well built. Yeah, yeah. We're in the Sukup booth here. And um, okay, so this is an independent film and you really had to like pull all the strings and do everything you could to get this film done because I think when when you and I first talked you had the the short done or you were finishing it up and um, it's been a journey so tell us a little bit about that journey like through this ag industry and and to actually get it done yeah and like even speaking with you Margie you run a startup business and like a startup you have to do every facet of it as the founder so the producer of a film is basically the startup of a business and the business is a movie so that's everything from the product itself to hiring people to create that product to then marketing and distributing that product is everything from accounting and fundraising to hiring the director and the actors and so all along the way you have a million little decisions to make and they're very challenging for us there were a couple of fundamentally difficult ones one we never had enough money to do anything so we had to make partnerships I get that yeah. <laughs> we had to make serious partnerships that could really help us get it off the ground um, and two storytelling is a tricky art like you have to the chemistry has to be there like Making a movie just because you got it made doesn't mean it's good. We've all seen movies a 
sort of challenging. So on the first front, we were so lucky to meet people all over the country who were willing to like help us. So in Kentucky, we partnered with the Kentucky Department of Agriculture. They came with their safety department and brought fire trucks and firefighters and EMTs and police cars, all this stuff that we wouldn't have been able to afford. We also filmed on a farm for free in New Haven, Kentucky. Quint and Leah Pottinger were basically like, come, we'll help you out. So they were on set every day driving trucks, moving tractors, hauling grain, anything we needed. And then eventually, and it was a good segue because we just talked about them, we met the Sukup Manufacturing Company and we had no money to build a grain bin set to safely pretend to engulf actors in corn. And they said, we'll do it. So we came to Northern Iowa and they built these grain bins inside of an airplane hangar where we could do this very ambitious thing that usually would be done on like a Warner Brothers soundstage studio. Welcome to Iowa though, right? No, the nicest people. I mean, the movie is about community. Like, the film itself is about a group of people who band together to save the life of an 18-year-old boy who gets drowned in a bin, or not gets trapped in a bin, he doesn't drown in a bin. And so that's what it's about. Behind the scenes, community helped us get it made. And, in, like, in the distribution side now, communities are kind of cultivating an experience of the, of the film together. So we had a lot of things come together to make this happen. It was very lucky, and I'm fortunate to have made a lot of new friends in the, in the process. I love it. That, that is is what the best thing you can say about agriculture. It is its own community, it's its own culture, it's, it's the, these people that they want to be a part of something like this. And, and this really does matter. Like, this is what probably made my ears perk up when you first told me is, like, if you can save one life that, through uh, making something more visible, you know. But um, the, the way that you've done it with this movie, it makes it, um, it makes it informational, but it's entertainment too. Like I, you want to watch this movie, everybody. So um, it, it's such a cool thing. So you filmed it in Kentucky and in Iowa. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit. Did the did the actors know anything about this? I mean, uh, tell me a little bit about that. Good question. Our actors were all people who did not grow up in big cities. So I think they understood small town life well. And all of them were theater actors. So they were tough. Theater actors have very difficult schedules. They're doing eight-plus shows a week. Their changing rooms are small. They didn't come in thinking this was a big Hollywood production, and they were just gamers to get it done. And they cared about the idea of building a bridge between people in cities and people in rural parts of America. And obviously, we have a bit of a growing divide in our country, you know, along those lines. As everybody kind of came around to that very quickly, I don't think they knew of the dangers of agriculture and the fact that farming is the most dangerous job in America. We all came to know that the more we met people, researched, developed the story, interviewed, et cetera, et cetera. So everybody ended up on the same page. We all took different journeys to get there. Uh, farms are like the dustiest, dirtiest place ever to film. And I can, I can relate to these actors a little bit, right? Because it's like you just have to go when you have daylight. And I'm sure you're out there and, and you know, limited budget. So we're here. We're going to do this. And uh, no matter what the weather, no matter what the perils that you, you found, I'm sure. Oh, we, we had days where we were rained out lightning storms. We had a day where our generator went out, so we had no lights at night, so we could only shoot scenes inside of cars. It was like a disaster. So, you know, anything can go wrong when you don't have enough money and when you're dealing with the elements, and nobody knows that better than farmers. I mean, nobody knows that better than farmers. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, so this episode is airing. It is Grain Bin Safety Week, and this is a week where we want everybody to pay attention and to know about these perils, and specifically, 
Nationwide has this um, grain bin tubes, the rescue tubes that they give away, and it is such a cool program. And so I want you all to check out this show notes because you can see where your community can sign up for one of these and uh, potentially receive one because it's like $5,000 worth of equipment and training that your community can receive. So uh, check out the show notes on this show. We'll be right back. talking about the film that Sam produced called Silo and it is what genre of film is is it thriller what like what what type of movie would you call this I'd say it's a drama okay with I'd say it's a thrilling drama yeah but I think more than anything it's a drama about real people dealing with real issues um, with a bit of a ticking clock thrilling element to it because they've got to rescue somebody before it's too late when working on the film, not being a farmer yourself, you know, obviously you were on a farm. You're, you, it wasn't like a setup location, and it was it was a working farm. How did you uh, find resources or find help in making this so real? Because it, it is real. Like when you watch it, it, it I think anybody walking around on the show floor would feel like they were on a farm. Well, I'm happy you said that. I think it's probably the number one goal we had going in was not to make 
one of these Hollywood-style movies about ag that just felt inauthentic. So from the beginning, Marshall, the director, Jason, the screenwriter, and myself promised each other we were going to do something authentic. So we did over two years of research and development on the subject, talking with professors, farmers, business leaders, educators, firefighters, and then we shot this 10-minute documentary that really gave us into an insight on what the like a day in the life of a grain farmer looks like, like in the weeds. And then we were on set of the film. Every single day on set, we had a farmer and a firefighter. So no matter what, there was somebody there being like, eh, that's not real. Like, that sounds hokey. This is what they would say. Or there was a day we were like, hey, you know, Quint, what would Jim say to Jack before the workday starts? He's like, uh, you know, it's the kind of day where maybe they're going to, like, you know, grease the corn head. So we said, yeah, you're going to go grease the corn head. So that kind of stuff, like, it sounds authentic. It is authentic because we had somebody there being like, this is what it would be. So having people on set and giving us their time was so generous and crucial. Uh, yeah, yeah, it is so important. I mean, as a person who has been somewhat connected to agriculture a lot of my life, but I don't farm every day. I mean, we, we find that all the time. And then, like, our, our videographers, right, like, they live in a city. And so sometimes they'll be like, let's do this. I'm like, no, 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 I, we, let's not do that. And one of the things that happens, and this is just a knowledge gap, I read an article today about a grain entrapment that just happened, and it said man fell into grain bin in Minnesota. It's just not what happens. Nobody just fell into a grain bin. That does happen every now and again. Somebody literally falls. But when somebody gets trapped, it's because they're walking down soggy grain or they're knocking it off a wall or something else. So I think there's some of that miscommunication and lack of knowledge, and it leads to inauthenticity. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, kudos to you for putting out something that, that it is so authentic but does have such an important message. So on that note... Um, if you could wrap up your sen- sentiments of how you want people to walk away from this film, um, maybe that's through uh, feedback that you've received or just what your hope is after kind of living through this kind of drama. I mean, you, you just said you're in the, you, you pay attention to the news now. You know when these grain entrapments happen. And so it's like a part of your life that I'm guessing you're never going to shake. So what do you want people to walk away with? I would like people to walk away from this film with a greater dedication to their community and their neighbors, even though we're in a part of the country, not necessarily in Des Moines, but in farm towns where most of our screenings of the film are happening, where people do have more of a dedication to community due to uh, fewer people working in agriculture on the actual farm and due to the fact that a lot of jobs have left small towns and gone to cities and sometimes these towns are empty during the day. I think we have to find more ways to cultivate community and fortify community. And our film, I hope, is a useful tool for people to work together, learn from each other, educate each other, not just about farm safety, but about mental health awareness, about suicide prevention. These are a lot of issues that are both city issues and rural issues. So I just want, I want to work on movies that bring people together and not just have people watch them alone on their couches necessarily, which is fine, but I don't think it's the same thing. We have to be more united as a species. And I do think art has a role to play in that. Of course it does. So on that note, and uh, I've got more questions to ask. This is kind of an end of the show question, but I think we're we're at a good point to talk about it. How, if somebody's listening, how can they get this film in their community? How can how can they bring their communities together around it? Yeah, so it's pretty easy. We basically work with you directly to bring the movie to your area. So if you go to silothefilm.com, silothefilm.com, the first thing that comes up is a little tab that says host a screening. You click it, you fill out a form. I get it directly to my email 
and I will call you and talk to you about how you can bring it to your town. There's a cost involved, there's a license agreement you have to sign, there are logistics that go into it, but we've thought about most of the details to make it a very seamless community organizing event. I was just here in Iowa doing one two days ago in Grinnell. I was in the room with 200 people. It was an amazing event. I had farmers telling us about accidents that happened 30 years ago, mothers telling us to help them raise money for the fire department. These events tend to bring people together and have them talk about issues that may not otherwise come up. So we really want you to reach out to us, host an event, host an educational extension of it. The movie is only 70 minutes long, so it leaves a lot of time afterwards for some positive extension. And yeah, we, we would love to get it done with anybody. So silothefilm.com and we'll, we'll reach out to you once you reach out to us. And it, it doesn't have to be like in a movie theater if your town doesn't have one, right? Like this can play where wherever you want it to play. And maybe there's companies out there that can help sponsor that, uh, that are in that ag realm in those communities. Because, uh, you know, I, I do think it's important and it's kind of a grassroots thing to be able to, to get people to be able to watch this film. Yeah, that's a great point. Thanks for mentioning it. I mean, we've done these in high school auditoriums and gymnasiums and the shed on the farm, corporate conference rooms. We're doing one today at the Iowa Event Center here in Des Moines. So anywhere where you can show it on a big screen and have people in the room, the only caveat is you can't watch it alone. You've got to bring a group. If it ends up being 20 people, that's fine. If it ends up being 200 people, amazing. Um, and definitely, we've worked with Grinnell Mutual Insurance. They, they were screening the other night. You know, Nationwide is going to be doing some events around Green Safety Week. So having the corporate sponsors are crucial to make it more affordable for people and to work with FFAs and Farm Bureaus and 4-H's. And so uh, we're well on the way. We've done over 55 screenings. We have hundreds going. And we want this movie to be in every farm town in America. It's a lofty goal, but I think we can do it. I am all about lofty goals, Sam. So I, I feel like you can do this. Thank um, Yeah. Uh, so... Do you have a favorite scene or is there something that's really powerful about the movie that you can describe to me? Every time I watch the movie, I tend to find something new that I really resonate that resonates with me. The last time I watched it, and, and it was always this way when I read the script too, there's a line early on in the film where Junior, our farmer, asks his friend Valerie, who's a nurse and works at an old age home, what do I do with my dad when he's having one of his dementia episodes? And she says, just let him stay in the past. And I think it's a really profound sentiment that both has a very practical element to it. If anybody's dealt, a lot of people have dealt with that, dementia and Alzheimer's in their family. It's a very sad thing. And letting people stay in the past and live in that reality is a healthy thing to do. And the sad irony of it is it ends up leading to the accident on the farm. Um, but a lot of it has to do with agriculture, staying in the past, having an allegiance to legacy, but also having to be modern, having to think about safety, having to do things in a different way to move into the modern agricultural era. So I always found that line by Valerie to let him stay in the past, to be a very profound sentiment. Uh, for sure. I mean, that, that that just tells, I guess, more of the layers that are a part of this film. So with that, um, I know you guys are going to screen it today. Are you excited for that? I am excited. It's going to be a really cool crew. We've got people like you in the crowd and other friends in the media from Meredith uh, and then Sukup people and the Iowa Corn Growers Association and the Iowa Department of Cultural Affairs. It's kind of like a coming together of all these groups, which is what this movie's been all about anyway, like diverse groups of people kind of getting together so I think it's gonna be great we're gonna be surrounded by tractors and farm equipment which is exactly how this movie is meant to be seen so I'm excited I love it okay 
Sam, thank you so much for being here. It's so nice to see you here in Iowa, and I, I can't wait to see uh, how this crowd reacts to your film. So thank you for making the film. Thank you, Margie. Thanks for what you do for agriculture. I know that you work really hard, and I love your work. So thanks for having me. Thank you. here with Marilyn Adams, who is a woman that I have um, heard of and familiar with and knew a little bit about her story. And I'm so happy to be able to connect here on Shining Bright. Marilyn, welcome. Thank you. It's a real pleasure to be here today. So let's start with a little bit about you, Marilyn. Um, Are you from a farm background? What has your experience been in agriculture uh, in the past and up, up to today? I grew up on a hog farm, and I was runner-up for Pork Queen one year. Which is awesome. <laughs> yep. I always welcome, love those. Welcome they, to Iowa. Yeah, yeah they I engage all the, all the kids, right? Yeah, the other girl had a puppet. <laughs> <laughs> was it a pig? <laughs> yeah, probably was. I don't remember. I, I don't know why that puppet. matters. But. Uh, so I, anyway, I, uh, I became an advocate for children's farm safety, mm-hmm. and really served as a voice for all rural, rural children. And I made an effort to witness firsthand the farm safety issues that um, happened all around. And uh, I did a lot of traveling to communities, visiting farms, staying abreast of the safety and health issues. I, I even testified before Congress in the Senate Cub subcommittee hearing mm-hmm. meeting, and I uh, keynoted different conferences and traveled internationally to speak about children's farm safety issues. 
so many things over yeah. a, a career in agriculture of well over 30 years. So um, you grew up on a farm. Did you marry into a farm family as well? I did. And, and we uh, raised corn and soybeans. Okay, Daryl used to have cattle and, and we just don't do that anymore. No. We're, yeah. we're starting to feel our age a little bit. Yeah, yeah. It never stops. It never shuts yeah. off, right? Right. Okay, Marilyn. So um, we are, uh, the right word is not celebrating. We are talking about Grain Bin Safety Week at this point. Um, can you tell me um, a little bit about your story and what led you to start the organization? It was October 15th, 1986. My 11-year-old son, Keith, stayed home from school to help his dad with the first full day of harvest. You know, it was his rite of passage. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a little bit concerned about missing school, but yet uh, he was really delighted. I was going to say, excitedly concerned. (laughs) He he was pretty proud that dad thought he was big enough and responsible enough and all that. So, uh, so I just, you know, asked the school's permission for him to, to miss a day. And of course his eyes lit up and and he was grinning from ear to ear and he started jumping around up and down and and, uh, he took his hat off, threw it up in the air. And <laughs> so he, he was happy. Yeah, yeah. Well, And it made the rest of us happy. Yeah. yeah. What an exciting thing for a young boy yeah, to get to, to do that. Great honor. Well, he was trained the night before. Mm-hmm. Daryl was, um, you know, telling him everything to do step by step. And he was proving himself. And, and I was there with him and, and uh, watching him work. And we shared hot chocolate and... Mm-hmm. and uh, you know, watched a falling star while we sat on the back of the pickup and on the tailgate. And, you know, it was just a wonderful, wonderful evening. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I wouldn't give that up for anything. Yeah. Yeah. I love it when those those memories can stick with you. Yeah. That next morning, you know, I remember him asking, where's my hat? <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and he ran out the door, and so he must have found it, you know. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, he was going to help his dad. Mm-hmm. But then that afternoon, I received that phone call that everybody is afraid they're going to get. Mm-hmm. And uh, a friend of mine that worked at the doctor's office, um, she says Keith got hurt in the corn, and he's being flown to Blank Children's Hospital in Des Moines. She says, have somebody bring you. Don't drive. Mm-hmm. She said, we're taking Daryl. And I dropped the receiver on the floor. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. yeah. It, this is not a call that you are ever prepared to no. to get. And, you know, as, as his life was being lost, our lives were changing forever. Mm-hmm. And uh, those changes occurred in many, many more ways than what you could ever dream of. Mm-hmm. So um, y- you have other other children too, right? I do. Yeah. Um, we had two girls at that time. We, we now have a, a, a third sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So. And, and so um, you got to the hospital and, and um, unfortunately learned that Keith lost his life. Yes. Um, they did keep him on life support for 24 hours, but then they, mm-hmm. they told us it was over. I didn't have to make that decision. The doctor just said, yeah. yeah. But I did tell him, if 
we didn't make it, that we would donate his organs. Because, mm-hmm. you know, he had, we had read a, a flyer at my workplace about a little boy that needed a liver transplant. And, and you know, we had the church youth group, and, and uh, Keith said, gee, if anything ever happened to me, he could sure have my liver. And it's like, oh, well, yeah. <laughs> so then that opportunity came along, and it was like, oh, gee, God was preparing us for this too, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I just. Yeah. Well, there's a bright spot. Um, there is. In that, because the organ donation is such a wonderful thing to be able to to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't even fathom what your life became like after this. I, I would wager to guess that I laid on the bed for a year crying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just sobbing. You just don't bounce right back. Right. Um, you don't get over it. <laughs> ever, no, ever, ever, right? I no. mean, we're decades yeah. down the road. Yeah. And grief is a powerful thing. It is. Mm-hmm. And this, he'll always be 11 in my heart. Right. He's, he's yeah. forever 11. Well, everyone, thank you for sticking with us, Marilyn. Thank you for sharing this very difficult story.
are back and Aaron and I are in the studio with Marilyn Adams, who, um, as you heard, went through what I'm just going to call the most unimaginable thing that I, I can think of as a parent. You know, the, the things that, um, you know, you said you heard your son calling, where's his hat when he runs out the door? Mm-hmm. And I can, my gosh, every day, right? Like that's, that's <laughs> yeah. what I hear from yeah. my kids. And I just, right. you know, um, as a mom and as a parent that that's an unimaginable thing that you went through. So, um, if you can start, you know, after, after that, what was next? You know, I mean, obviously there is dangers associated with a gravity flow wagon and, uh, grain entrapment. Um, what was the mindset of the farming community around these types of things? You know, was there anything available to you guys? Um, Tell me what kind of happened next for you. The mindset of the community was, uh, you know, kids helped Mm -hmm. more back then. And uh, dads expected that, you know, Mm -hmm. we all walked beans and, Mm -hmm. yeah cut corn out of beans and yep. we put up a grain bed and poke bolts and and so it, it's our farm is a family farm right and uh, we we all respect each other you know you've got your church family and you've got your work family mm-hmm. and you've got your own immediate family and and uh, we all have our own roles and uh, you know when I started farm safety for just kids it wasn't on a whim Mm-hmm. You know, I it was fueled. It, it was. Mm-hmm. It, it was fueled. And I um, knew that I had to do something positive because my girls had taken over. They already knew how to cook and do dishes and laundry. And so while I laid on the bed for a year crying, mm-hmm. they parroted us. Yeah. How, you have two daughters? I have three now. Three daughters. <laughs> At that time, I had two. Okay. Okay. We had Kaylin five years after Keith's accident. Um, We started searching for information Mm -hmm. and came across a study that was done by Dr. Bill Field um, at Purdue University, and it was all about gravity flow wagons, grain bins, and trucks. And, you know, he had recognized and identified them as hazardous equipment, and recommended widespread educational campaign, um, year-round media coverage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my first thought was, had anything happened in that last seven years? You know, this was dated 1979. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And could Keith's death have been prevented? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the, there was a boy named Robbie that uh, suffocated in a wagon a couple weeks before Keith over in Kelowna. We didn't hear that on the news. In Iowa. Yeah, in Iowa. I mean, (laughs) kind of just down the road, right? I mean, a couple hours. Kind of, sort of. But yeah, you... But you heard nothing. We heard nothing. And so Dr. Field's uh, study really inspired me. Mm -hmm. And and he said that we needed to adhere uh, decals on gravity flow wagons and, you know, the other grain equipment. And it's like, okay, but did anybody ever make these decals? Yeah, nothing no. had come of it. No, no, just the, the factory ones, but nothing yeah. that, that yeah. Uh, a family member would read. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that, that really sparked some interest. And we also came across another study 
from uh, Dr. Frederick Rivara, a pediatrician, that stated there was 300 kids that died every year on, on family farms. And those were just the ones that were documented or mm-hmm. yeah. that, that mm-hmm. could be counted. And another 2,300 uh, injuries. Injuries mm-hmm. and accidents. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I would lay awake at night. You know, I don't sleep well through this kind of right. trauma. No. And, you know, think about those things that we were, had read. Yeah. And it's like, well, gee, we can do that. Mm-hmm. Somebody should be doing yeah. this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, I, I don't know how after going through something like you did that you could sit on that kind of information. No. And so I, um, you know, this, I, I just said, let's do it. Mm-hmm. And when I told the girls I wanted to name it Farm Safety for Just Kids, I got a little bit of static because it's grammatically incorrect. <laughs> 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 I said, but they're just kids, no matter how you look at uh-huh. it. So, just kids. Just I like kids. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they might be doing the work of adults at times on a farm, but they, <laughs> they are, are just, just kids. kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so what was the first thing that you did in, in starting this organization? Um, and, and what year did you start it? Well, I started it in 1987, just okay. a year after Keith. Um, it was actually December of 87. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just, well, I just went to an attorney friend and said, can you help me set up a nonprofit organization mm-hmm. and I was president and Kelly was vice president, my mm-hmm. oldest daughter mm-hmm. and Kim wrote newsletters. And, and so we just did it. Another family affair. <laughs> it was. Yeah. And, uh, but a year after that, I was invited to speak at an international conference here in Des Moines. And that's when it all really took, took off. off. Mm-hmm. That's when we, you know, got legs under it really. We, we yeah. did. Yeah. Um, so I did this speech at this conference, and then uh, I'll never forget that evening when the conference was over. I met with a man named Carol Bolin. He was vice president of Pioneer Hybrid mm-hmm. International, and uh, two other guys, Burton Cross. He was the assistant professor at the University of Iowa's Department of Preventive Medicine and Environmental Health, and then along with Jim Merchant, uh, professor and director of the Institute of Ag Medicine. And after much discussion and a few tears of joy, I agreed to leave my full-time job and devote full-time to children's farm safety. Mm -hmm. So planning went really well that night with that group. And uh, before I knew it, I was opening up an office in Earlham, a little building, um, and they provided support Mm -hmm. and Bert was the chairman of our board and knew how to do a business plan and, and everything. And so um, it really started snowballing. Yeah. Because then they invited me to go to Washington, D.C. for 10 days. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which Important work. Yeah, it, it is important work. Yeah. I mean, it has to catch the eye of the people mm-hmm. who make the laws and, and yeah. uh, the press and all of these things for it to go, you know. Um, so then that sparked 30 years of, of work for you. Yes. Um, I know we're getting low on time. Were there difficulties along the way? That's a silly question, I know. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to tell you, at one point when that first year was up, uh, we were waiting for, my, for a check from, it was Dow Chemical at that mm-hmm, time, mm-hmm. and uh, it was $20,000, but it had to go through their system. <laughs> right. We got yeah, down to $7 in the bank, and, <sighs> and uh, I went off the payroll, and yeah. and we, I just started paying bills out of our... 
personal yeah. checking account. <laughs> what, what kept you going at that time? Well, knowing the 20, 20,000 was <laughs> yeah. coming, yeah. that was going to last forever. Yeah. <laughs> it sounded like a lot of money. Yeah. Um, uh, my, just my heart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I just knew I had to keep doing something. And, and it was good for me personally to start to come alive again. Yeah. Yeah. It was like having another child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A so focus. I, yeah. Focus. And it yes. kept me awake yeah. at night. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, everyone stick with us. We're going to go to break here, but we'll be right back. back here as you can tell this story is one that um you know while maryland's started over 30 years ago it's a story that still needs to be told today unfortunately um so marilyn you were you were saying um you know your your heart and uh your your passion about this really was what kept you going but as a nonprofit, you know you were, were at the reliance of organizations mm-hmm. Right to yes. to keep those doors open. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Well, I didn't uh, have to do a lot of fundraising. I made a lot of friends. Yep. And uh, in fact, nationwide agribusiness has been very supportive mm-hmm. since the very beginning. When Farmland Mutual Insurance Company, um, their president called and asked, "What can we do to help?" And uh, told his staff, "Get that lady in here." That's a mark of a good company, right? Yeah, it sure uh, is. Because so it made my fundraising a lot easier. Yep. Yeah. Uh, media helped carry Farm Safety for mm-hmm. Just Kids. Uh, between October of 88 and December of 88, I did uh, 11 magazine, newspaper, and local newsletter interviews. Mm-hmm. Was on 15 radio shows. And, uh, you know, just 
I had lots of calls and lots mm-hmm. of emails and in-person visits. And that was even before I opened the office, mm-hmm. before our grand opening in December of 88. And then we had Good Morning America and Sunday Today and the New wow. York Times and wow. the Boston Globe. And it was like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, now what have I started? <laughs> what do I do now? You started something really important, right? That's <laughs> what you did. And everybody listened. Yep. Yep. Farm Safety for Just Kids had over 150 chapters in the United States and Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, in 2001, the organization's annual report states that uh, our chapter activities totaled over 2.5 million children and farm families. Wow. And at its peak, we had 2,500 members. Mm-hmm. And I continue my leadership role um, in the grassroots effort up until the end. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I am officially retired after 25 years, but then I stayed on boards and, yep. and uh, kept being at the table. Mm-hmm. So uh, I still continue to stay in touch, and I'm on one board of directors over at Center for Ag Safety and Health at University of Nebraska. Yeah, what, uh, what an unforeseeable turn of events and an mm-hmm. uh, um, unforeseeable career for you for 30 years, but um, kudos to you. I found this um, number that from 1998 to 2011, a USDA study showed that the rate of childhood injuries from children living on farms decreased by 48%. Well, I I know we've talked about data was maybe hard to find in the beginning about this, but the the proof is right there, Mm -hmm. right? That that this had a direct effect to talk to the kids and to to bring this message to kids. It did. And uh, Sherry Burgess was our education director for 25 years, and she developed all of our educational materials. Uh, you know, we even had Spanish resources. Gosh, the Spanish handout, there was 30,000 copies distributed in one month, the very first month. Yeah, and that's such a thing. I mean, I see, you know, that the Hispanic population working on farms, the number of farm workers in this country is just huge. And so mm-hmm. that that's a very important part to have it um, translated, I'm sure. What does the landscape look like today You um, when you guys... Uh, decided to end in 2016, the Progressive Agriculture Foundation became the new outlet for this message. Is that right? Yes. We had become friends mm-hmm. for years. I, I was there at some of their very first meetings when they first started their organization, and uh, we all worked together. Mm-hmm. And then when it was time, we needed to pass everything over to them and and let them continue because... We had three staff people that were retirement age, and we were going to have to start all over from scratch. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I don't want to do this. Mm-hmm. So we, we gave 4-H and FFA both $5,000 each, and then uh, gave everything else to the Progressive Ag Foundation, along with our educational materials that Sherry had developed. Now it's been 33 years, yeah. and uh, we feel the organization accomplished what we set out to. Yeah. And, uh, and I believe that that move was furthering the mission that we all worked really hard to accomplish. Well, and I know there's there's not just the Progressive Agriculture Foundation, but there's many organizations carrying this charge forward now, right? And yes. th- there's a week dedicated green, to Green Bin Safety, mm-hmm. where I feel like it's all of our jobs to pay attention, to listen to these stories, to read the articles, to th- see the things around us, and to make some sort of more effort to make this more visible. Because 100% of these accidents are preventable. I've heard that before, and and that that sticks with me more than anything else. None of these need to happen. Um, Still, they're happening. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's lack of knowledge, Mm -hmm. age and ability appropriate tasks, supervision, 
And I think just our human nature, we always assume it's not going to happen to us, right? right? Mm-hmm. And the kids assume that even more than we do. They, they don't even have any clue what no, could no, happen no. to them. No. Like they, they don't. Yeah, I, I have two little kids uh, of my own. I see it every day, you know. And what do you want people to know or to hear from this? from a mom who's been through the absolute worst, if there's someone out there listening, if there's a mom out there listening, who's got little kids running around on the farm or, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, whatever type of farmer, wherever they are, regardless of the scale or, or anything else about it, what do you want them to take away from this? It's okay to say no. If dad says, Oh, come on. Mm, Yeah. Untie your apron strings. Say, I'm not going to do it. And stick to it. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, it's not always the case, but. It's a good point, though. It is. 11-year-old Keith, mm-hmm. shortest kid in his class. <laughs> Lots of responsibility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I thank Progressive Ag Foundation for continuing his legacy. Um, Marilyn, is there anything else that you would like to share? I know you, you've experienced a lot over these last, uh, let's just say, like 40 years. <laughs> you know, let, let's yeah. extend yeah. this 33. Cause it, so how old does that make me? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we aren't going to talk about that. But... But, you know, whether it was when Keith was alive or through Farm Safety for Just Kids, you've been through so much. And and I thank you so much for sharing your story. But is there anything else that you would like to share with our audience? Well, this all happened with God's help, of of course. Yeah. But uh, first and foremost, I thank Nationwide Agribusiness for their generous support uh, all of those years. And thank my family. My, My girls did without mom. Yeah. And then we had, you know, another child later in life, and she went with me a lot of times, mm-hmm. but she missed out on mom being home, too. We were proud to have Mrs. Bush be one of our special people that worked with us, and she was our honorary chair. I saw that. Uh, she was oh, in the White House. And, very cool. You know, there's so many things that we haven't mm-hmm. talked about, but um, <laughs> keeping the doors open, our, our sponsors, um, you know, I just listed a couple, and... Mm-hmm. Um, Dreams can only carry you so far. You got to have money to, <laughs> yes, to do you this do. kind of happen, thing. Right? You got to have and, some legs uh, there. And I thank the media. They really carried us. Every day I can't help but think about how much richer my life has been by surrounding myself with all the right people. And yeah. we were able to have everybody on our staff. We all just did what we could do best. And that was, that was good. But in closing, I'd like to reflect on the real reason this all started. Mm-hmm. Of course, why I'm speaking to you today. The organization was founded in memory of my beloved son. Keith will forever be 11 in my heart. He was full of life and dreams for the future. While he's no longer with us physically, his spirit is reflected in the children's education on farm safety and health. His influence has spread far beyond his short life on earth, and his story has touched a countless number of rural families. Thank you to his very strong mother for spreading that message. Marilyn, thank you for being here.